Prepare yourself for Earthling Entertainment with your hosts, Joe and Ryan. Well, hey, hey, you doing? Welcome to another episode of Earthling Entertainment with Joe and Ryan. I'm Joe. There are some who call me Ryan. There are others who call him the Mystical Badger. Yes, yes. That's the true. Few, very few, very few. Well, it's an old nickname. Very old. I uh I, I think my old nickname was Spooky Joe, and it does not apply anymore. I was much more uh, pierced and dyed hair and 50-inch pants, which aren't cool, but they were back then. They're still cool. Jinko jeans, man. Come on. Uh, I had the kickwear. The kickwear? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The All Hot right. Topic days when you can get the trip pants. So, uh, episode eight. Here we are. Welcome. Thank you for staying with us. If you uh, are, you know, long-time listeners, if you're new listeners, hi, what's up? All right. So, Earthling Entertainment, Ryan informs me that at 2 p.m. everything is going to explode. Like 2.20, I think? 2.20. Okay, explain this to me. By the way, I think it's funny we're covering this, because by the time this podcast airs, it will have already happened. So, so, this, this so no be... one would have been able to hear what we're talking about right now. If what you're saying is going to happen, it's going to happen. So this is, whole thing is kind of a moot point. This, uh, is, this is a weird way to start the show, yeah, man. Two, yeah, 220. Okay, why are our phones going to explode at 220? They are saying it's like, you know, it's just, just an emergency broadcast. This is just a test of the emergency broadcast system. But then there are other people out there who think that this is like, this is like their way of, you know, kill John Lennon. They're going to turn us all into zombies. So why would our phones explode then? Well, it's going to go off. I guess by explode, I was just kidding. Like I meant as a metaphor for it, it's going to be like an amber There's going to be a signal, and we're all going to get uh, you know, hypnotized, turned into uh, Mangerian candidates, if you will. Indeed. And that's, that's, how, that's them turning on the new uh, cybernetic mind grid. Yes. And all we right. are, yeah, we're all tapped in. For the so... record, I don't believe that. But continue. No, neither do I. <laughs> but, but this is, I literally. But the point I... is, the signal's coming out. You know, there's a Stephen King book. Uh, it's called Cell, and it was a weird signal went off on all the cellular phones, and everyone was zombified. And it, there was it was a movie. Samuel L. Jackson was in it, and I believe uh, John Cusack. You know who's to say that that couldn't happen though? Like, what if that's like a technology that they're holding on to, and it's like one day they just could do it. Like you could like your phone will ring, you'll answer it, and it'll make this sound, and like. There you go. That's it. That's it. You're a zombie. Well, that was literally the plot of that film. I actually didn't read that book yet, but the film, that's literally the plot. It's it's actually kind of freaking terrifying. I know. You should watch it. (laughs) All right. It's really good, man. uh, Also, I think uh, just the film Serenity, which was the, you know, feature film, uh, the ending to the, the show Firefly. The character River was t- uh, triggered, like, because she was like kind of like a Mangerian candidate, was triggered by a commercial. So, like, a little jingle from, like, a commercial. Huh. Yeah. I've so, always heard great things about Firefly. I never got to see it. Well, you know, brown coats for life, bud. Uh, there's only 14 original episodes. I believe only, not, not all of them aired. I actually don't know. And uh, that was 2002. And then in 2005, Universal, because of DVD sales and the fan outcry and there was uh, there was conventions, they did a feature film called Serenity. I don't think it was a huge financial success, but it was a great film. And it, it actually ended the series. So the 14 <laughs> episodes 
and the uh, the movie kind of ended the series. But if you want to know more adventures from the Firefly crew, they have, I believe, eight novels, and they have a comic book series by uh, Boom Comics, which I think ended, but they're just doing uh, a couple little things now. Hmm. Yeah, so if you want to know a lot of shit about Firefly right off the cuff, there you go. I was going to say, I mean, I'm sure Firefly nerds are all, all know all about that, I'm sure. Because, yeah, like, people who like that show love that show. Oh, my God. It's it's their Star Trek. It's their yes. Stargate. It's their Star Wars, it, so- it sounds crazy, honestly. Because, like, like I, knew a, a, I knew a girl who had, like, a dog named River because she was obsessed with the show. Well, it's a good concept. It's the whole, uh, you know, expanding west in the Americas, but it's in space. You know, the central planets are like the civilized planets, and then the outward planets are kind of literally the old west. Like, they dress like cowboys, they're ranchers, because they don't have the technology on those planets yet. Yeah, yeah, pretty good, pretty good. But anyways, on this episode of Earthling Entertainment, we are going to cover spooky things first. Excuse me, spooky stuff. Spooky stuff. After that, we are doing another uh, sequel game. Ryan sequel game. challenging Ryan to another episode of Hey, what's up? Do you know these sequels? Probably, After that, I we probably have. Won't. He probably won't. <laughs> I, I he haven't studied for this one. To be fair, though, I did give him the option. He did. All right, and then we have our headlines followed by the Ahsoka season finale open spoiler discussion. So if you're a fan of Star Wars. Hang on to the end, and we'll talk all about Ahsoka. What we liked, what we didn't like, what we wish we had more of, what's obviously leading into another season. Yeah, dude, they better not make us wait too long. We'll see. Luckily, uh, writer's strike is over, but the uh, actors are still on strike, so we'll see, man. I mean, everything's going to be delayed. Wah, wah. All right, so, (laughs) if you're ready, I'm ready. Let's jump into spooky stuff. The Whitney Mansion Haunting. Dun, 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 dun. That's in Detroit, folks. Little little local one for me and Joe. Those with knowledge of Detroit's historic buildings have likely heard tales of the Whitney Mansion being haunted. The 122-year-old house turned restaurant even named its third floor bar the Ghost Bar to play into those rumors. Which I didn't know, and I want to go to the Ghost Bar. Let's... Oh, we're going. Oh, yeah. Continue. In 2015, the paranormal reality show Ghost Hunters spent four days filming at the Midtown Mansion. The results of that footage is part of an episode titled Phantom for the First Course. It aired August 17th, 2016 at 9 p.m. on the Sci-Fi Network, according to the restaurant. Built between 1890 and 1894, the legendary mansion is said to be haunted by Whitney and his first wife, Flora. According to psychic medium Christy Robinette, Flora always wanted to live in a mansion but died before the home was finished. That sucks. Leaving Whitney to raise their four children. A year after Flora's death, Whitney married her sister Sarah. Okay, well Sarah clearly pl- like poisoned Flora. That's a possibility. I'm just saying, a year later, now now she she's, she got the house. I was she about got to say, the, kids. the jealousy, yeah, she, you're getting this giant mansion built that's some, for you. That's some Crimson Peak stuff, I don't know. So it's actually Flora that haunts the mansion because her sister Sarah was the one that got to live in the mansion, See? Robinette says. See? See? Whitney's spirit is also there because he died in the mansion. <laughs> The story is that he had a heart attack when one of his daughters told him she was marrying and moving to Europe. Oh well, my God! How well, bad I don't blame you, him. How bad would you feel? Like, like as the kid, don't move to Europe. 
<laughs> like, don't do that. Like, oh my god, it's the 1800s. We just got here. Hey! <laughs> All right. The Whitney's <laughs> grand exterior and interior is one of great opul- opulence. Opulence. I love that, that word, opulence. But it also feeds into its eeriness. <laughs> Within the castle-like mansions, 21,000 square feet are 218 windows, 20 fireplaces, and an elevator that has been known to operate on its own. That's creepy. David Dewey, the Whitney's director of operations, has witnessed the elevator traveling between floors and doors open and close with no visible riders. This has been caught on security cameras at night when there is no one in the building, he says. I would love to see that. Cat Tets. I, I, oh, I wanna, I, no, no, it's fine. I just, I, I used to be a security guard at, like we talked about, at Greenfield Village. I want to be a security guard at the Whitney now. Like, I mean, I, I could go undercover. You would run. I would. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, not, can I you imagine know. watching the screen? It'd be like Five Nights at Freddy's kind of thing. And like suddenly, uh-oh, ding, ding, the elevator opens, nah, closes. I, like I said, I can't even handle, like, freaking horror games. Like, dude, like, that shit scares the shit. Like, my heart starts to race. Like, I'd be too... Yeah, I'd get out of there. So, in other words, we're going to have a hard time me talking you into our live investigation that we're eventually going to do with one of these haunted places. Oh, no, I I, I, I enjoy it. I'll, I'm for it. You just I, might die of fright. I, I, got to, I got to check out Eloise before it became a haunted attraction. Well, fair enough. Well, I mean, when we were teenagers, people would just break into Eloise. <laughs> We didn't break in. We we did like an exterior, uh, and we walked to like the graveyard that was on site and stuff like that. It was uh, pretty cool. I captured I captured something on on photos. So no, I'm totally down. Hey, that's pretty cool. And also, not incriminating yourself on a podcast. Hey, well done. Continue. Yes. Uh, the uh, sorry, Cat uh, Tedson and Bev Rydell investigate the Whitney Restaurant in Detroit, Michigan, located on Woodward Avenue. The exquisite. The exquisite restaurant was the former mansion home of David Whitney Jr. Mr. Whitney was one of the Midwest's wealthiest lumber baron at the turn of the century, and he built this magnificent 21,000-square-foot home in 1894. Since the mansion's restoration in the mid-1980s, reports of unexplained activity have existed. Shadowy apparitions have been seen on the second floor. Disembodied voices have been heard. And other strange phenomena. Hold on, let me ask you though. What would be what would be scary? (laughs) Hold on. What would be scarier though, the voice or the shadowy figure? Like if you were if you were there, if you're walking around, you see a weird shadow in the shape of a human, or you just hear like a "Get out, you jerk." I'm gonna go ahead and say the voice, probably, but but the silhouette would definitely still be as startling. Yeah, but you might be able to explain it away. Yeah, right? but at least that you could like shake your head. Yeah, like whatever. But yeah, you hear a voice like "Get out!" Like yeah, I'm out, I'm out. Like See? I don't, I don't want you in my home. You, see ya. your sister fucker. See ya, see ya. <laughs> uh, I didn't mean to interrupt. Please. No, continue. no, not at all. But uh, I love that. I love that. That disembodied voices have been heard, and other strange phenomena have occurred. Disembodied voices have been heard. I'm just saying that, right? A strange phenomenon occurred. Uh-uh. All right, the Whitney changed their view on the existence of ghosts and the paranormal. It it brought them it, the from... two investigators. Correct. The Whitney changed their view. Yes, okay. yes. Brought them from skeptics to believers. People often tell them of getting 
Feelings they think relate to nearby ghosts. They dismissed it as overactive imaginations until they had such an experience at the Whitney during and after hours investigation. Cat uh, was standing on the second floor when the atmosphere changed around her. Just as people had explained, the atmosphere became thick, charged, she said. I'm getting something here. Later, when audio was reviewed, a disembodied voice was clearly heard saying, That's right. Followed by the words, I am still here. Around the same time, Beth Well, that's was... probably the wife then, right? Because she died, and she's like, I'm still here. Like, you know, the, he's screwing her sister, and she just had her like, Hey! I'm still here, guys! Come on! I mean, it could be her, or it could be him. Just, yeah, I liked mine. Mine was more colorful. Yeah, who knows? That's <laughs> yeah. Around the same time, Bev was alone on the first floor, asking any spirit to knock on the wall. She didn't really expect a response, but was stunned when she heard a loud, resounding rap on the wall next to her. She asked for another response and received it. Although she didn't hear it at the time, a clear voice was recorded that simply said, "Hi." I don't know why that's funny to me. <laughs> During follow-up investigations, the sound of a piano was consistently heard and many other unexplained voice phenomena recorded. Their extensive historical research turned up the fact that both Mr. Whitney and his wife passed away in the home. Based on the evidence and known events that have happened in the house, they believe members of the Whitney family have never left. I mean, clearly. Does, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? We should at least go to the restaurant. Oh, we're totally going. I didn't even know that, that was a thing. Right? I'm excited. I mean, You find great things about spooky stuff to talk about, local buddy, that I haven't even heard of. Fucking good digging. Yeah, that, well, thank you, thank you. I figure we can't do, like, all the main stuff, like, first, right? Like, the let's not talk about the pyramids, like, today. We'll figure that out later. Yeah. They're hydraulic pulse generators with the crystal obelisks around the world. We're going to give us all power like Tesla's, you know, like dream. Just saying. Anyways. Yes. Uh, no, that I'm just saying. I, I believe that. Totally. Man. I I don't even. Yeah, it wasn't like one of the pyramids was totally a, yeah, like a factory. Like like a, it, it was some sort of, uh, I don't know what, what, what you call it. Apparently, we're going to pyramid next week, guys. All right, we're pyramiding next week. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Look, that's, why does that, that sounds, that sounds dirty. Like, what? I'm pyramiding. Hey, hey, you ever pyramid? <laughs> yeah, I'm pyramiding. Yeah, man. We're going to yeah. talk all Egypt to each other and our viewers. Mm, I got a catch of the Egyptian. Yes, yes. Well, yes. see, that sounds dirty. Oh, yeah. All right, all right. So that is it for spooky stuff. And right now we are going to play another round of the sequel game. Yay! The sequel game. So I'll press the button. Yay! Excellent. So uh, today's game is going to consist of five questions just like normal. All these questions are the same. How many in a given franchise? For instance, if we say Indiana Jones, the answer would be five, because there are five movies in that franchise. If there's any kind of remake or like any kind of clarification, it will be specified. Out of each question, it's worth five points. So five questions, five points equals 25 points altogether. Ryan, after each question, will get the chance to name any of these sequels. If he names them correctly, he gets one point for every sequel. So 
That is 28 points on top of the 25 with one bonus question, giving a grand total of 54 points that Ryan can potentially get. He only needs 25 to win. So, our first question. Ryan, are you ready? Yes. Excellent. Ryan, how many films are in the Child's Play franchise, but this does not include the 2019 remake? Oh, boy. Let me think. I'm gonna go with... Six. Wah, wah, wah. Ah. You know, we really gotta get a buzzer. Like, we should have a buzzer button. Do we have one? Hold on, hold on. I was gonna say we've got little John. <laughs> we got little John. <laughs> what is what is this button? I don't know what that is. It it's it, it seems like a very long red button. All right. Anyways. Anyways. Right. The answer is no. No, you didn't. The answer is seven. Sounds close. Yeah. Without yeah. going over, you did pretty good. All right. So child's play does not count the first one. But are there any of the following sequels that you can name? I'll give it a shot. All right, let's do this. Uh, Child's Play 2. Oh, that is correct. Very easy on that one. Uh, Child's Play 3. Yep, yep, that's true. Then I believe we go into Bride of Chucky. That's correct. Then we go into Seed of Chucky. That is also correct. And uh, then it's uh, Cult of Chucky. Uh, That is not the right order, but is correct. Darn. All right, well, I lost the order. But uh... the order doesn't matter. Okay, okay. Then before that was, I, I guess I don't know, I'm out. All right. Well, hey, that's not bad, man. That's one, two, three, four, five. You got five of them. Nice. So that's five points. Nice. All right, so it's Child's Play, 1988. Child's Play 2. I thought those were older. Well, no, 1988 was the first one. Child's Play 2, 1990. Child's Play 3, 1991. Bride of Chucky, 1998. Seed of Chucky, 2004. Curse of Chucky. Oh, I forgot about Curse. 2013. And finally, Cult of Chucky. 2017. Ryan, bonus question. Who played the voice of Chucky in the 2019 remake? Oh, Mark Hamill. That is correct. Luke Skywalker. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I mean, come on. I, like, I was so... I actually thought he was really good at being creepy as shit. He was. It was a different kind of child's play. Uh, that one was an AI instead of a cursed doll, and I thought it was really good. It, it's just a... Because you know what it was? It was a remake of Child's Play, the first film, not a Chucky sequel. And the reason why is I believe Universal owns the rights to Child's Play, uh, and then afterwards it's a different company, which is why the, the title changed to Chucky, because they can no longer say Child's Play because the original... Uh, they didn't own it. It's the same reason why the Friday the 13th suddenly were Jason Lives and Jason X. is because Paramount owned Friday the 13th. I believe it was Paramount. Yeah. So it's this weird thing. Uh, legalities ruin everything. Yeah. Goddamn yeah, government. Yeah. All right, Ryan, are you ready for question number two? I am, I think. All right. How many sequels? I shouldn't say sequels. How many films are in the Harry Potter franchise? Okay, hold on. Let me count. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, I'm going to have to say uh, seven. Ooh, there are seven books. There are eight films. Oh, that's right. Part, All one, right. part one and two. Yep, Some yep, bitch. Yep. So, Some bitch. Ryan, 
Name those films. And oh. this time you actually do get a point for the first one because it's not just called Harry right. Potter. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Yep. Harry Potter and the, I'm going to go probably random here, and the Order of the Phoenix. Uh, yeah, that is that is one. Harry Potter, the Deathly Hallows, part one and two. Yep. Uh, Harry Pot- Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Yep. And I know I'm missing one more. Uh, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. That's correct. That was there the is one. one more. Shoot. Do you want it? Do you got it? Come on. Uh, Come Harry on. Potter and Emma Watson used to be my crush, but then I found out she was sort of a bitch. That's right. Apparently, Ryan had a crush on both Harry Potter and Emma Watson. Uh, well, who didn't? <laughs> All right. So you're done with that, right? You can come live under my stairs. Woo! So are you concluded <laughs> there, buddy? I'm done. Yeah. All right. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six. So you got six out of that eight. All right? Not you're actually, too shabby. Not too shabby. So that brings your score to 12 altogether. All right. No boy, no boy. That franchise is Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, 2001. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, 2002. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, 2004. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, 2005. You didn't get that one. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, 2007. Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Yeah, I forgot that one. 2009, yes you did. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, part one. And Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, Part 2, came out in 2010 and 2011, respectively. Very nice voice on that one, by the way. Well done. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. All right, Ryan, uh, number three. All right. All right. How many films are in the Anaconda franchise? Ah, damn it. I, didn't, I thought you said you weren't going to go obscure. I said there was mostly not <laughs> too obscure. I don't know, four? That is correct. Holy shit. I, didn't, I literally just threw that out there. All right, Ryan. Well done. Care to name any of the sequels after the first one for a total of three possible points? Anaconda 2? Uh, no. Damn. Uh, <laughs> Anaconda and the Scary Snakes. Anaconda and the Scary Snakes. Absolutely not correct, sir. You don't know any of these, do you? I don't know anything. Constrictor <laughs> of love. But you got the you got there the actual <laughs> question right, so that's good. Yeah, I, I like constrictor of love, by the way. Yeah, thank you. That, I was gonna say that's actually that's actually pretty good. Anacondas, restrictor of love. Dude, I'm just saying. Constrictor like, of like, love. Like, that, that sounds like a James Bond film. Constrictor. It kind of, of love. does. I can see that. Yeah, constrictor of love, and yeah, the bad guy would have a snake. Oh, he'd have several could, snakes. Oh yeah, that would be like a whole thing. <laughs> All right. Well. Your t- uh, your points are at seventeen, and oh. that yeah, and that franchise is Anaconda, nineteen ninety seven. Anaconda- I loved. It. I actually liked that that movie with Jennifer Lopez and Ice Cube. Fuck yeah! And uh, John Voight, uh, which uh, Jennifer? No, not Jennifer. Uh, that movie Jay- scared the shit out of me. But what, I mean, Anaconda granted, I was like ten. If you watch it now, the CGI doesn't really hold up, but it's still a fun movie. I agree. Like honestly, when it came out, that shit scared me. The whole thing with the bug in the neck. And they had to like cut. The oh my bug god! Out of his I forgot neck. about that. My whole Dude, thing is when ugh. 
when John Voight, spoiler for Anaconda, sorry guys, <laughs> when John Voight gets eaten and then thrown up later and he's just yeah. all crushed and slimy and then his like, as he's dying, kind of like winks at he J-Lo. Winks at her. It's so fucked up. That, honestly, that movie wasn't, in my opinion, like, yeah, I'm probably not going to go watch it, but I have fond memories of it. I enjoy it. And you know what? Sometimes I watch it. I also like the sequel, which reminds me. Go ahead. Anaconda, 1997. Anaconda's. The Hunt for the Blood Orchid, 2004. Anaconda 3, Offspring, 2008. Anaconda's Trail of Blood, 2009. Now, Ryan, uh, I, it's a, I didn't expect you to get this one because Anaconda 3, Offspring, and Anaconda's trial, uh, Trail of Blood were both, I believe, Sci-Fi Channel original films. They did get the rights to the Anaconda franchise, and it is a legit sequel to the Anaconda franchise, but that's why, uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, David you gotta ha- keep them separated. David Hasselhoff is the lead in the third one, if you could believe it. I, I totally, totally can believe it. All right. <laughs> so after three questions, Ryan has seventeen points. Ryan, are you ready for question number four? I've I've never been more ready for anything in my life, Joe. All right, Ryan. How many films are in the? A Nightmare on Elm Street series. Now, keep in mind, this also includes every film where Robert England plays Freddy. And, uh, except, you know, Jason X, because that was just a hand, and technically that was Kane Hodder, and he did, you know, he wasn't in it. So, it's pretty simple. Every Robert England film where he's Freddy. So you're not including the remake with the dude from uh, (laughs) Watchmen? I, I was going Bad News Bears. But yes, Watchmen. Yes, for sure. No, Warshack uh, is not there. So it doesn't count. So you just want the ones with... With Robert England. Oh, shit. So every film where Robert England plays Freddy Krueger as did. a main character. I know they did a ton of these. So I'm just going to say nine. <sighs> and oh. The answer is eight. Man, I, I've been pretty close. Yeah, you've been pretty good with your guesses. You know, yeah, I'm, that's not I'm bad. I'm pretty proud of my guesses here. All right, let me give it a shot. All right, now, like, obviously, A Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one doesn't count, so that gives you seven possible points. Go ahead. Uh, Man, because this is another one of those franchises that I don't know what it is, but it just never gripped me. The first one was okay. I loved him in Freddy vs. Jason, so I'll throw that one out there. All right, Freddy vs. Jason is one. There you go. Uh, Other than that, I'm really, it's so bad. You have no memory? I have no memory. Would you care to make any guesses? Uh, A New Nightmare? Oh, that, okay, you know what? I'll give it to you. It's Wes Craven's New Nightmare, but sometimes it is just called New Nightmare. So we're going to give you that. I knew that was one of them. Uh, Man, oh man, oh man, I don't want dead air, so I'm going to go ahead and have to give this one up because I don't think I'm going to guess any of them, and I got nothing on, on... I got nothing on making fun of a creepy pedophile that invades your dreams. <laughs> to be fair, it was more suggested in the original film that he was a pedophile. He was just more of a child murderer. In the remake, they kind of really drilled in that he was a uh, pedophile. Yeah, that was the, the that Robert England one. It's more like uh, it's more like implied, but it's more that he's a child murderer. He's a pervert. He's he's, he's a pervert who likes to murder. Well, Freddy in general is kind of a pervert. Yeah. 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 All right, yeah. but anyways. So, uh, there are, like I said, eight. The first one is A Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984. 84, yeah. 
a nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Oh, I should have guessed that. 1985. A nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. I would have never guessed Dream Warriors. <laughs> 1987. Then we have a nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. 1988. Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. 1989. Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. 1991. Yeah, right. Wes Craven's New Nightmare. 1994. And Freddy vs. Jason, 2003. The, the, the final chapter or the final nightmare or the last one, everyone does that. Like, Saw, it was number seven. Friday the 13th, it was, like, number four. Yeah. So if you call it the final chapter, and uh, there's also uh, the final destination, and then there was the final destination five. So I, I'm just saying, like, don't name your film the final anything, because if you think you can make money, you'll do more. All right. I agree with that. So that's after four questions, Ryan, you have a total of 19 points. All right. I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, but you need six to win because you need 25 altogether. All right. Ryan, final question. How many films are in the Underworld franchise? Another one that I just don't know. I'm going to throw out. Kate Beckinsale was so cute as this character in this franchise, and you were the right age. There is no oh, excuse me. There is no reason why you shouldn't know this. I skipped it. I totally skipped it. I, I guess She I'm... was in latex and leather the whole time. I know, but that's usually a sign of a bad film because they're just like, we just hope everybody will like this because she's hot. This wasn't Species. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, but okay, uh, and they called the werewolves lichens, which I thought was weird. Lichens. I, I didn't understand it. But anyways, uh, I'm oh, gonna, but Belverines. I'm gonna okay? say it was a trilogy. Three. And sorry, the answer is five. Yeah, I wouldn't. No idea. All right. Oh my god, they did that many of them. They did that many of them. I had no idea. I thought they did. And all three. of all of these were theatrical released films. None of these are straight to video sequels. Right, right. No, I know that it was a big deal to a lot of people, but yeah, I just couldn't care less. Dude, uh, vampires <laughs> vs. Werewolves is just, it, it I mean... Maybe I, I was sick of it. I don't know, man. It's just a sexy premise. I think Everyone maybe, in that movie was hot. Well, you know me. <laughs> I loved Interview with a Vampire, and I loved, uh, you know, Queen of the Damned. So maybe I was just, I was out. And then, like, at the time, I think at the same time, Twilight was out. No, Twilight I, was a couple years later. I mean, don't misunderstand. This franchise spans many years. So Twilight did exist within the That's releases. what I'm saying. I think I was so vampired out that I was like, I'm done. I, I think that's why I just, I know nothing about this. Damn it, Robert Pattinson. You've ruined Underworld for my friend. All right. Do you want to name any of these sequels? <laughs> I, I can't even blame him. He he did good for what he had to do. It was a soap opera. He's actually a great actor. It just yeah. took him like a 10 to 15 years to convince everybody of it after the Twilight series. I was going to say, I've, he's hilarious. I forget the film. He's in the one film where he's effing hilarious. Oh, gosh. It's uh, very informative. It's killing me. But ah, yeah, that he, one film. Check yes. into his shit. It's good. All right. So, Ryan, can you name any of the Underworld films? Hell no. I'm going to go ahead and say Rise of the Lycans. That is correct. Holy shit, really? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. You don't... Did you really pull that out of my butt? I literally just pulled that out of my butt. Well done. All, All right. right. I'm impressed. Yeah. My butt hurts a little. All right. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, uh, Blood Rain. Oh, my God. You got really close. 
Uh, raining in blood. No, rain, rain in blood. Other way. Other way. Da, 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 da. All right, you uh, give up. I give up. Any other ones? No, I mean, I, that was, those are pretty right. good guesses. Huh? Uh, the last one was Blood Wars. Oh, it was close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so Underworld 2003, Underworld Evolution 2006, Underworld Rise of the Lagans 2009, directed by something Totopolis. I really like the guy. He was one of the uh, judges on Face Off. Anyways, huh. Underworld Awakening 2012, Underworld Blood Wars 2016. Really? I literally never heard of it. Oh, yeah. I'm terrible. All right, well. To be fair, that one I'm pretty sure didn't do too well. Well, it sounds like I lost. You did, but you got 20 points out of a possible 54. But I feel like this was an honest game. Yeah, I, feel, I didn't study. I feel like you did, like, I, I am proud of you, sir. You did way better than I expected considering your lack of studying. I was Yeah, I, I looked at the list and I was like, oh, poop. Like, I, I'm like I'm like, there's like literally like three of these that I kind of know. So, Kudos. Yeah. Kudos to you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Ah, and there we go. That is the sequel game for this week. Coming up next, we have Earthling Entertainment Headlines. Whatever Toys R Us. Woohoo! Making big comeback with 24 new retail stores. This comes to us from Nerdist.com. Over the past few years, we've reported often on the sad end the and potential revival of the Toys R Us retail chain. It's it's been a, a crazy roller coaster of ups and downs. Going on to going into this store was like entering a magical realm for several generations of American children. It's true, but like some kind of toy miracle, the iconic toy store is making a big return. First. It was just as a pop-up shop or as a section in a Macy's department store. I heard about that. I didn't get to check it out, but like, yeah, they sectioned off a whole little spot and were like, it's like a junior Toys R Us. But according to CNBC, Toys R Us are opening a new brick and mortar store in November in Terminal A of Dallas Fort Worth International Airport. Huh. Great. (laughs) Like, Like, yeah, why... Target the parents. I don't know. Well, Target the parents. Think about it. People traveling for the holidays, you show up at the airport, you forgot that someone's gift and they have a toy. I can see it. I can well, see like it. having a beer is like $30 at an airport, so now I got to buy a yo-yo for like $50 for my kid. Like, God damn it. <laughs> it wow, well, I'm old that I mentioned yo-yo. Like, oh yeah, kids just love their yo-yos. For some reason in seventh grade, we had a, a yo-yo revival. Do you remember everyone was yo-yoing in middle school? I've learned a lot of tricks, actually. Yeah, I was never that good, but I, I was able to do a few of them. I was, I was, I would say a modest yo-yoer. <laughs> <laughs> the rollout of Toys R Us stores will expand to up to twenty-four different locations, located in airports, cruise ships, and elsewhere. Oh, cruise ships are even worse. There's no escape. Dude. There's a toy store. Dude, bullshit. Your whole vacation. Uh, dude, this is you know this is that Disney ride bullshit where you get off the ride. And it goes. You have to walk through the gift shop to leave. Like, that's not just. That's not just Disney. Every, pretty much every amusement park I've been to, you walk through the. Well, every themed ride, they have like a uh, gift shop to walk through. Yep. Uh, yeah. It, it, even like at the zoo, you walk out of the penguin exhibit, you've got to walk right past the toy store. 
Well, in uh, Universal Studios Hollywood, uh, there was the Minion ride. When that opened, it used to be the Terminator ride. I was kind of depressed. But it was Terminator 2, and it's been like 25 years, so whatever. They turned it to Minions. The point is, when you go through, uh, same thing. You walk out, and it's just like all the Minion plushies and everything else you could possibly want. And, and you want to, you know, it's like, man, it's just it's just such a targeting of the, of the parents. I'm just saying. Fair enough. But to be fair, the parents have the money. Why target the children? they they should continue in in january 2017 (laughs) there were 1691 toys r us stores in north america 2017 that's what it says oh my god the company also licensed 257 stores across 38 countries then thanks to the rise of amazon and the dominance of big box stores like target and walmart the legendary chain closed its doors Afterwards, a company called WHP acquired a controlling interest in Toys R Us parent company, True Kids, in 2021. Their plan was to open more stores nationwide after the only two remaining locations outside of Macy's closed in 2021. The first new separate Toys R Us was a massive flagship store in a mall in New Jersey. Like, oh, the one they just opened, like the new one? Yeah, I mean, dude, I honestly, I miss, like, KB Toys, like, all, like toy stores in malls and toy stuff. Toy stores in general were just awesome. They were sweet, dude. I mean, granted, we were children. Right, like, I can't <laughs> believe I remember the name KB Toys. Like, how long has it been since that's Well, been KB Toys was, I know this is a Toys R Us story, but since you brought up KB Toys, KB Toys was awesome because they had the bargain bins of, like, yeah. the last year or the last uh, set uh, action figures, and they were they were always cheap. I mean, I know inflation, they'd be more money now. But I remember they were like three fifty or two fifty, and it was just because it was like, oh, this is these were the old Transformers. Now we have new Beast Wars, you know. And remember, we even used to have a Disney store. Now you can really only get Disney stuff through uh, the website. Well, they also had a WB store in the yep. mall. Yeah, yeah. Well, Everyone oh, man, had a store. I forgot about that. Did Nickelodeon have a store? Because it seems no, like a missed opportunity. I don't think so. It, it was a missed opportunity. They would have made a lot of money off of me because I was a nerd when I was a kid for for some Nickelodeon. I love Toys R Us, but I honestly, they were the most expensive. But they had the Power Wheels. You can get in the Power Wheel at Toys R Us and drive around the aisles, even as a teenager. Pow, pow, pow. Well, granted, that's only because the employees at that particular Toys R Us weren't very, uh, they didn't care. Man, that was, (laughs) I do, I have fond memories of, yeah, like in going and looking at, like, the new Game Boy Color games that were coming out, like, like. Oh, it, yeah. I mean, it's the same reason why GameStop is is struggling. Is I mean, obviously they had a resurgence recently, but I'm just saying it's the whole physical media thing. They make it so easy. I can download any game I want on my PlayStation. I could download any movie I want on my smart TV. And then when it comes to physical action figures, well, I'm an adult, so the action figures I buy are very expensive, and you usually get them online from exclusive yeah. websites, you know? And like, every- Hot Toys are like $600, okay? I'm not getting a 250 out of the bargain bin. Yeah, and every now and then you get lucky. Uh, we got like a local comic shop around here, which is basically a local toy shop called uh, Big Ben's Comics. I will say that Green Brain Comics is the best comic shop around. It is in Dearborn. It is on. They Michigan are Avenue. better for. They can get you anything fast. Like honestly, yeah, Green Brain is the better for comics. If you're looking for toys, maybe head over to Big Ben's. But yeah, if you're looking for comics, books, you name it. Green Brain Comics. I'm just saying, Green Brain for life. I bleed green, man. I'm Me all too. the way back from when no. it was Comics Plus. We've been there forever. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that place. That that's our that's definitely our Jay and Silent Bob hangout. 
So right if there. you are in the Detroit area, go to Green Brain Comics located on Michigan Avenue in Dearborn. We All right, that's them. it. That's that's right, the yeah, free that's commercial. That's our free commercial. That's All right, right. back, back to right. Toys R Us. Yeah, literally no one asked us to do that. We just love that place. That's true. Uh, <laughs> it, its current flagship two-level store, ooh, two levels, is at the American Dream Mega Mall in New Jersey. The American Dream Mega Mall! Dude, that's awesome. Uh, this huge Toys R Us includes experiences for kids, such as a two-story slide, a cafe, and an ice cream shop. I would really like to do a two-floor slide. Can you imagine a giant slide in Toys R Us? I, like, have some weird dreams that I, I swear to God have to come from, like, my adolescent, like, what I wanted as a kid. Because it was, like, walking around a mall, but they have, like tunnels like you'd have it like you know the play place or or kids kingdom or discovery zone or any of those where you and they were all like sectioned through this mall it was like a child's paradise and it's a reoccurring dream i keep having since like i don't my whole life it happens at least once a year and in the dream i don't know if i'm a kid but it, like it's not weird that i'm hanging out there <laughs> yeah we used to have like caesar land we used to have tons of like play places that were inside all that's gone well, Chuck E. Cheese is technically still around, but they yeah. made they made him look weird now. Oh, oh my God! I haven't did, even looked. If Toys R Us is coming back, are they going to have Jeffrey the Giraffe back? And are they going to revamp him and make him like a CGI monster? Yeah, probably. <laughs> and he's going to have like that curly hair or whatever, like whatever the kids are sporting now. That weird, like, like you know, mop top. Yeah, yeah. Is it's that like, a style? Or a mullet. Or a mullet. Mullets are coming back. I are... see them all over the place. Well, if you ask me, it is about time the mullet came back. I mean, I have not been able to identify if someone is stupid at first glance for a long time. And or it's good, good at the saxophone. It's <laughs> Or good at the saxophone. That's a... Well done. <laughs> well done. Anyways, we should probably finish this Toys uh, We should probably finish this, yes. Uh... Well, we've got a lot to say. We This is a nostalgic piece for us. Yeah, you know? we, like... don't worry. We will say very little out of topic coming up. Right, right. Well, I remember in high school going and getting lightsabers that I think I still have to this day that we would beat the shit out of each other with. Well, there, to be fair, there was, there was a Toys R Us that was pretty much located between the two high schools we traveled between. So, yeah, we would totally stop there and get like a... I think we got Tamagotchis once. We had lightsabers yeah. at prom. <laughs> that is we true. We had lightsabers at prom. In we the did. prom photo, because we were cheap, we did a group photo. It was like three or four couples. I think it was three of us. Everybody chipped in. They there were straight up lightsabers in our prom photo because we're that cool. And we totally battled on the dance floor and almost uh, started a fight. People wanted to fight us because they just didn't like that we were having such a good time. Apparently, that wasn't part of their uh, prom experience. Alright, right. I'm gonna finish this now. Excellent. Uh, it seems to survive in a post-pandemic less retail shopping-centric world. Toys R Us is learning to upgrade into more than a store and become an experience. But for all of us who grew up in the 70s through the 90s, just setting foot in that, ter in that toy paradise was an experience. We all wanted to be Toys R Us kids, as the commercial jingle sang. Here's hoping the brand can properly regain its standing in the culture at large. I mean, obviously, if they're going to keep it to, like, these, like, where it's basically, like, like they said, it's more of an experience. So it's like when you're on a cruise ship, oh, there's a Toys R Us and it has a slide. Of course, we're going to go. We're going to let the kids slide. We're going to buy a toy. So it's going to be successful. I'm, I hope it's successful. It's just for nostalgia's sake. Uh, you know, it's just, it would be a weird world. Like, think about it. If 
everything goes the way it seems like it's going. And physical media is gone, and there's no one going to stores because everything's being delivered to their house. Think about all the empty buildings in the world. Think about all the stores. Like, I guess there'll still be restaurants, but, like, that's just, like, do you want to turn your world into a ghost town? Like, goddamn, go to American Apparel. Buy a sweater there. Jesus. Yeah, I... I still take my kids out like to to get stuff, and that's the thing. Like, like I swear, because with a kid, it's hard. You gotta like make sure everything fits whatever you're buying. Yeah, I will give you that. If you're buying clothes, it is much easier because kids also grow crazy. I mean, I get, uh, yeah. we, I got the baby right. He's six months. Uh, sometimes he's in three month clothes, and sometimes he's in twelve month clothes. The you baby companies need to regulate and tell me what size. It's like <laughs> this is what my wife complains about. She says female clothes are the same thing. Like everything she wears, it's up and down what size actually is going to mean what i don't know guys are easy 34 inches 30 inches that's our waist hooray you know like Around. yeah it's pretty easy you know jesus <laughs> that's right that's all right headline leg, number 2 all right all right here we go a little bit of a bummer the legendary actor michael gambon has died at the age of 82 this comes to us from the hollywood reporter gandalf actually finally really died the giant of the British stage became beloved by U.S. audiences after taking over for the role of Hogwarts headmaster Albus Dumbledore, the Dumbledore for six films. Starting with 2004's Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, following the passing of Richard Harris. Which was a shame, because no offense to uh, this gentleman, but I love Richard Harris's uh, take. But well, continue. of course, that was the first one we got. You know what I mean? It was hard. It was, it was, I remember that was probably like, for us, it was like a hard, you know, replacement. Well, to be honest, the uh, the original guy, Richard Harris, uh, he was a more gentler Dumbledore, whereas this Michael, uh, he he didn't actually read the books and kind of just took the script and did what actors do and made up his own character. Yep. But I would argue that in that case, he missed kind of the warmth that Dumbledore displayed uh, in the books. But that's just me. I agree with that. Uh so, uh, Gambon died peacefully in the hospital surrounded by his family after a bout of pneumonia. According to a statement from the Irish actor's family provided to the Hollywood Reporter on Thursday, Radcliffe, who starred as the book-to-screen franchise's, uh... Titular character. Thank you. Titular character, Harry Potter, celebrated Gambon's spirited personality and dedication to his craft. With the loss of Michael Gambon, the world just became considerably less fun. Michael Gambon was one of the most brilliant, effortless actors I've ever had the privilege of working with. But despite his immense talent, the thing I will remember most about him is how much fun he had doing his job. Radcliffe said in a statement provided to The Hollywood Reporter. I mean, that's pretty good, right? Like, I guess he was just a fun guy to be around. He was silly, irreverent, and hilarious. He loved his job, but never seemed defined by it. He was an incredible story and joke teller, and his habit of blurring the lines of fact and fiction when talking to journalists meant that he was also one of the most entertaining people with whom you could ever wish to do a press junket. Okay, so he just made shit up and fucked with the journalists. That's what it sounds like. That's great. Yeah. Radcliffe went on to recall working with Gambon at the most during uh, the franchise's sixth film, where he made the hours spent in front of a green screen together 
more memorable and joyous than they could than they had any right to be. Yeah, because that's the Half Blood Prince, and that's the one where he goes on an adventure with Dumbledore to try to find one of the Horcruxes, and they have a very good scene in a cave in an island surrounded by basically dead zombies in the water. Uh. So yeah, it was, was a really cool scene. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it says, uh, blah, blah, blah. Okay. I'm <laughs> so sorry, blah, blah, blah. I got lost at my point. Uh, no worries. Bye. I'm so sad to hear he has passed, but I'm so grateful for the fact that I am one of the lucky people who got to work with him. Uh, co-star Rupert Grint, who played the memorable red-headed best friend to Potter, Ron Weasley, called Gambin a role model in an Instagram tribute. So sad to hear about me as a kid and became... Let me try that again. So sad to hear about Michael. He brought so much warmth and mischief to every day on set. He captivated me as a kid and became a personal role model of mine for finding the fun and eccentricities in life, sending all my love to his family. So this Michael guy was a bit of a jokester. A little, Harry, a little scamp. He was a, he was an on-set scamp, but he was, you know, British royalty as far as uh, acting is concerned so there you go and he did a killer job but yeah i mean he really did like my gripes with him playing uh the character the way he did does not take away from his acting prowess no not at all uh harry potter author jk rowling also took to x formerly known as twitter <laughs> to celebrate the work and life of the brilliant actor with whom she worked on both the young adult franchise and the Casual Vacancy. The first time I ever laid eyes on him was in King Lear in 1982. And if you told me then that brilliant actor would appear in anything I'd written, I'd have thought you were insane, she wrote. Michael was a wonderful man in addition to being an outstanding actor. And I absolutely loved working with him. In an interview with BBC's Radio 4, The World at One, actress Fiona Shaw, who played Harry's aunt Petunia Dursley, remembered him as a trickster, just a brilliant, magnificent trickster. Everyone just keeps saying he's like being a crazy, you know, messing with people, like practical jokes and stuff. Uh, that's, that's hilarious, honestly. Like, it's like that you get to that fun. level and you could just be a mischief mad. That sounds fun. Like, like that's. I'm glad that, that he's an actor who can have fun with it. Like, you can't take yourself too seriously. Yeah, Jim. Damn it, Jim. <laughs> she added with text, there was nothing like him. He could do anything, she added. He varied his career remarkably and never judged what he was doing. He just played. Michael Gambon will be missed. Quite a panty dropper, that one. Apparently, apparently. Ho, ho, ho. Wingardium Levidrapus. <laughs> I will say, um, I did like the Harry Potter franchise. I read the books way later. And I did go through, uh, I did, I went through Audible, I believe. So it was just on dog walks and like other things like that. But I went through the whole series again. And there is a lot of fun stuff that was left out, mostly in the later books, which made the movies kind of seem like, I don't know. There was a few things that would have made a lot more sense if you had the context of what was going on in the background, which is why uh, WB, which pretty much has the exclusive rights to continue making Harry Potter stuff, they're pretty much done with the Fantastic Beasts franchise because that didn't get as successful as they wanted. So now they're talking about uh, they're going to do a seven season, probably HBO show. 
And uh, so each season is going to be a book. And with that, uh, you know, people are saying like, why are we doing this again? And it's like, well, you can expand and actually tell the full stories that were in this book. Like, do you know um, the big guy? Uh, what's his name? Hagrid. Hagrid has a half brother who is a giant in the woods that Hagrid is trying to like take care of and, you know, basically civilize and all that's happening in the background of the fifth story. And it wasn't even in the movies. I don't know as much about but I've read online that like people argue that Hagrid is actually like way more interesting of a character than you think because he's like, yeah, like he's like a half blood, but at the same time, he's arguably one of the most powerful wizards out there. He can fly on his motorcycle and stuff like that. And that's actually been like brought up as like that magical power is insane. Well, it's Sirius Black's motorcycle for the record after oh, he went to Azkaban. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, he got it. But like um, I said, I'm not as in, in the, to the lore. Sure. Sure. And it's like, all right, I'm excited for the whole HBO series, personally. And people are, like I said, a little bit like, why are you redoing it? Well, you guys, the first movie came out in 2001. Right. Like, that was more than 20 years ago. Yeah, if they can redo Spider-Man every other couple years, they can they can do this. I don't think any of them will. <laughs> That's a good point. I don't think any of them will, but like uh, somebody is talking about people who would come back and play different characters. And in a flashback, it'd be kind of cool if Daniel Radcliffe played James Potter, uh, Harry Potter's dad in like, cause he's, he's very seldom in the books because you know, spoiler, the guy's dead. So you he's know. just kind of like a flashback here or there. I don't know. That's my two cents. Why don't we go to headline number three, Ryan? All right, let's do it. Do win it. Barbie producer, Robbie Brenner. Promoted to president at Mattel Films. This comes to us from The Rap. From The Rap. Robbie Brenner has been named president of Mattel Films. Brenner had a key role in the success this summer of Barbie, which I still haven't seen. I saw it. It was, um, I, it, it, it wasn't for me. Which became the top grossing movie of the year with over... 1.4 billion globally. Yeah, it's extremely, extremely successful. I just... <laughs> I know! I just... I was... You know, it, I just expected it to be a better movie. With how much people were raving about it, I think it may have been built up more in my head than it should have been. I can always tell when someone's trying to convince themselves that a movie is just amazing, like, because the way they describe it, that's how everybody described this movie. Like, oh, there's more to it, you know... And I mean, like, yeah, I'm sure there wasn't there is... that much more to it. It, it, it was very female empowering, um, yeah. but it also, I thought, was a little too uh, man-hating. I mean, I'm not jumping on the bandwagon with everybody else freaking out about it, okay? It's not that big of a deal. It's just a movie. But it it did kind of put some shade on dudes, I gotta be honest. And honestly, like, I will watch Barbie, like, whenever it's streaming, wherever it's streaming, I will eventually watch it. Because, I mean, it had yeah. some really funny parts. It I, was a it was a decent movie, for sure. I, I, I like some of the music that came from it, and I think it's hilarious that, uh, what's his name, uh, whoever played Ken? Uh, uh, Ryan Gosling. Got the number one on the Billboard charts for his, his song. just a Ken. Yeah, literally, he got number one on the Billboards. Like, like that's insane. Well, good for him. Like, it's crazy. All right, well, anyways, this producer is now the head of Mattel Films. Continue. Uh, Yanan Kreese, chairman and CEO of Mattel, 
said in an official statement, Robbie joined the company to bring the vision of Mattel Films to life, collaborating with leading filmmakers to make standout quality movies based on our iconic brands that will resonate in culture and appeal to global audiences. She has done exactly that and so much more, positioning Mattel Films as a key partner for innovative creators, world-class talent, award-winning producers, and major studios. And I like how this kind of ties in with Toys R Us, because Mattel made tons of toys. Oh, yeah, and if you notice in the sequel game, we did the Harry Potter franchise, and then we talked about Michael uh, Gambin dying. So it is actually pretty well thought out. Thank you very much. Yeah, and I, I don't know why, but I always I always think of, when I think of Mattel, I think of Toy Story, you know, when, when Rex is like, I'm from Mattel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mattel has a, announced a large 14-film slate of projects that are currently in active development, including live-action features based on American Girl. American Girl. Barney! Barney. Hot Wheels. Hot Wheels. Magic 8-Ball. What? Matchbox. A, a, a racing movie? Major Matt Mason. I don't even know what that is. Masters of the Universe. He-Man. Polly Pocket. Why not Marty Max? Rock'em Sock'em Robots. I'm in. Because everyone is rock'em sock'em robots. Sorry, Tenacious D. Uh, Thomas and Friends. Like the train? Yes. Uno. (laughs) Hold on. Uno? Uno. I can't even do the echo for that. Uno? Uno. What? Draw four, bitch. Yeah, what movie could you... I want, like, a a, a weird, like, over-the-top... Like, the movie over-the-top. Like, the arm wrestling. Like, an overly competitive Uno thing. Reverse. Underground Uno tournaments where people are, like, smoking cigars and have, like, eye patches and stuff. Yes, I I like it. Dude, we could totally turn Uno into, yes, the post-apocalyptic world. We all... That's... That's... That's how war is done. Actually, I feel like I could write an amazing Uno movie. All right, Mattel, here it is. I am here to do spec script for you, all right? All you got to do is give me one email and say, we'll read it, and I will write that stuff on spec, all right? I will do that. Want to know why? Because I've got a take. I've got a take on Uno that's going to blow your minds. Just it'll happen. <laughs> it, 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 it's going to happen. All right, you heard it here. Uh... Viewmaster, don't know what that is. Oh, that's that weird, it's like the glasses you look through and they have that, that circle of slides that you like press and it changes the slide. Huh. Yeah, you remember we had those when we were Like kids. they could go really effed up with that and like do like a Twilight Zone kind of thing where like each slide like changes reality. Yeah, it would, yeah, you could do horror movie, you know, kind of like Shudder, I'm Ooh, down. Ooh, that'd be kind of cool. Or like almost like Say Cheese and Die. Ah, yes. Uh, remember Goosebumps. I'm pretty sure that Are You Afraid of the Dark had one too. I guess a camera... And pictures is kind of a... There's uh, something creepy about old photos and shit, right? Back when we used film. And Wishbone. I don't know what Wishbone is. What's the story, Wishbone? That's about a little dog that tells old stories. Oh. So they're bringing back... He was like a fox terrier. Okay. Well, apparently you are well-versed in Wishbone. I know that one. Oh. Uh, Prior to joining Mattel, Brenner secured an Oscar nomination for Dallas Buyers Club which won three Academy Awards, including for the performances by Matthew McConaughey and Jared Leto, and produced women's rights drama called Jane, 
and Supernatural Romance, The In-Between. I've heard of none of these. Brenner, oh, hold on, hold on. I will, <laughs> Dallas Buyers Club was a great film. Everyone who involved who won an Oscar deserved it, and Jared Leto did an amazing transformation, as well as Matthew McConaughey losing all that weight. Dallas, I, I like all those people. Yeah, Dallas Buyers Club was like a legit film. Um, not something I'm going to pop in on a Saturday night. It's kind of like Goodwill Hunting, where it's like, I appreciate this, but it is not fun. <laughs> I can understand that. I can understand that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like how I feel about Jared Leto's career. It's like, I enjoy it, but man, most of them are really, really bummer. <laughs> <laughs> I do, uh, I liked, uh, what was it? Requiem uh, for a Dream. That's how I first was introduced to him, so how depressing. See, my head went to Blade Hunter, Blade Runner 2. I don't know why. That was the first that, Jared Leto. It is not, yeah. He doesn't even have a huge role in that film. I think it's literally one scene. And then, of course, I knew him from his band. So like I had like a weird, to Mars, yeah, I yeah. had like a weird introduction, I guess, to Leto. I hear he's an interesting character to say the least. He's he's uh what's the word? Method actor, right? So they say on set he's unpredictable and sometimes pisses off other actors. Well, it's like I don't you know, I don't want to bother anyone who is an actor. I have a lot of friends who act, but I kind of feel like sometimes being I'm a method actor is just an excuse to be a dick. Uh, yeah. Because it's like I'm a method actor, and I'm playing Hitler, so it's okay that I'm murdering people. What? what? I mean, what? that's an extreme, but I'm just saying. I'm I, a method actor, and that my character's drunk all the time, so I'm going to drink. I got one hot take on this, and then we'll move on, and then I'll go with the, the rest of this article here. Uh, was when Jim Carrey released that whole behind-the-scenes thing of yeah, him being Andy, Andy Kaufman. It's called Andy and Jim. And let me... It, was I the only one who really was like, that was so unnecessary? No, you totally were. I loved it. I mean, no, no, don't get me wrong. I loved seeing it, but I'm saying the fact that he went that far method acting, just, I don't know, I always, I guess... Am I'm, I I'm gonna go. That... I'm gonna go against what I just said about method acting. No, dude, that, that was transcendent. He became Andy Kaufman. But am I the only one who, like, never found it? Like, I guess it's just not my kind of gag... I never found him to be that great. Obviously, he's uh, generations before me. What, Andy Kaufman? Yeah, but looking back on his... Like, I watched that movie because I love Jim Carrey. Well, yeah, sure. I'm not talking you know? about Andy Kaufman as a person or a performer. I'm simply saying that Jim Carrey transforming into Andy Kaufman... And, and he did. ...was mind-blowing. And he did, and it was. And, like, all the things with him pissing off Jerry the King Lawler was hilarious. <laughs> he did not think that was funny in real life. I thought that was great, but okay, I'm sorry. I will move on now. Okay, All right. we left off at Wishbone. Prior Wishbone. to joining Mattel, Brenner secured an Oscar... Oh, wait, no, we did say all this. Uh, Call Jane, Supernatural Romance, The In-Between. Brenner, also president of production at Relativity, where she acquired documentary sensation Catfish. Ah, right on. And oversaw the production of The Fighter and Immortals, and many more. Uh, Immortals wasn't for me. The fighter was pretty good. The fighter was okay. That was with, uh, what's his name? Mark Wahlberg. Uh, Mark. Maki Mark. Was it Maki Mark? It I was. thought it was the older wrinkly guy. Am no, I that's thinking? the wrestler. The wrestler. I'm thinking of the wrestler. <laughs> yes, yes. The old wrinkly guy. That's yeah. like how you got I, my I reference. I do exactly. Who I you love that. And that yes. old wrinkly guy is Mickey Rourke, Thank by you. the way. Oh, Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke. Brenner said in an official statement, Throughout my career, I have always gravitated towards creating important movies that have something to say. Mattel and Yanan have given me the opportunity of a lifetime to unlock a treasure trove of IP and collaborate with some of the greatest actors, 
auteurs and studios in the world. I have to put some stank on that. I am, I am grateful to all our creative partners and everyone at Mattel for their support and confidence. As we celebrate the overwhelming success of the Barbie movie with our incredible partners and fans, I am even more excited by what's next for Mattel Films. Discuss! Mattel! <laughs> All right, um, I feel like we already discussed everything. Yeah, Congratula- I was going to say, we kind of yeah. did. Congratulations to her, and uh, I, I'm sure she'll do a great job, and she has a bunch of great film credits under her belt, and I think she'll, yeah, I think she'll do good. So, you yeah. know, because we, uh, we we really chatted up that last one, this next one, I'm not going to interrupt you at all. I'm going to let you finish this ar- uh, this article before I say anything. Movie about Ocean Nothing? Gate. you don't even have a comment? I ruined it immediately. You I told me to go. I did. I just You want... said you weren't going to interrupt. You just did. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just... <laughs> I love hearing myself talk. I do too, actually. <laughs> Movie about Ocean Gate's tragic submersible implosion is being developed. This comes to us from IGN. Just two weeks after announcing a new docuseries based on the tragedy of Ocean Gate's Titan submersible submersible is in the works. Mind Riot Entertainment revealed a fictional sister project of the same name is also set for development as reported by Deadline Today. Title salvaged The narrative feature will explore segments of time before the submersible's deployment. During the search for the vessel and after the Titan's wreckage is uncovered. According to Deadline, the blackening producer E. Brian Dobbins is on board to to co-produce. Our film will not only honor all those involved in the submersible tragedy and their families, but the feature will serve as a vessel that also addresses a more macro concern about the nature of media today, said Mind Riot founder Jonathan Kesey, who is set to co-write the film alongside Justin McGregor. In June 2023, details of the tragedy went internet viral as a large-scale search took place to find the submersible and its five missing passengers who were en route to see the remains of the Titanic about 12,500 feet below the ocean surface. By June 22nd, officials confirmed the Titan had been involved in a catastrophic implosion. According to CNN, the remnants of the vessel were found near the Titanic almost a week later. The Titan tragedy is yet another example of a misinformed and quick-to-pounce system, in this case our non-stop 24-7 media cycle that convicts and ruins the lives of so many people without any due process, Kesey told Deadline. The Salvage docuseries will hone in on specifically on the life of Kyle Bingham, who served as Ocean Gate's mission director from 2018 to 2023 until he was killed in the Titan implosion. Before the Titans failed expedition, Bingham had previously uh, conducted two successful trips to the Titanic and taken dives all over the world. Despite being a fictional project, the film will be promoted alongside Mind Riot's fresh crop of docuseries programming. Yeah, so uh, two two projects. One uh, looks like a movie, and one looks like a docuseries. I mean, I remember hearing about this. It wasn't that long ago. It was. It's really sad because the thing went missing, and that's what we heard. And it's like, oh, it's a small submersible. We know they don't have that much air. I think there was five people on it, and it was like everyone knew that chances are they were not okay, just simply because of how long they were missing. 
And then, yeah, when they found the wreckage. I mean, and the whole point is this submersible was supposed to be like a, a vacation thing. I mean, you have to sign a bunch of waivers, some of them saying that I understand that it's dangerous, I understand that I probably or may not actually get to see the Titanic. But the idea was you went down, you saw the Titanic, you came back up. It, and the, my <clears throat> thing is, is when this happened, it, which, you know, it was, it, it's a captivating story, right? Like at the time when we were in it, it was like, we've lost, they've lost contact with them. You know, are they going to make it? Everybody was already talking about this is what happens when an implosion happens underwater. There, You could not go on any, I like TikTok or whatever. I was like, you know, and, and I was looking through stuff. You can't, you could not escape this story that though, that week. It, 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 you couldn't. Yeah, yeah. Everyone talked about it. They're, I just, and, at first, I didn't realize, because they said submersible, and in my head, I was still thinking, like, a, a bigger thing. But it's like, no, this was really small. It was like a Volkswagen bus going underwater. And, of course, the joke was that everybody noticed that it was literally controlled by an off-brand PlayStation controller that has bad reviews. Uh, online i think that's part of the whole i mean <laughs> that was part of the there joke. was a media frenzy right like a, there was a lot of weird stuff about it but uh yeah i mean it makes sense any world event any tragedy that gets any kind of publicity always gets a movie or docuseries or both so i mean my personal opinion on it is uh yeah that makes sense well, like I said, it was captivating at the time. I don't know if they're going to see as many people give a shit now because i that's my opinion because, to me, it's all been said. You literally couldn't escape the freaking subject for, like, a couple weeks there. So, like, everybody already laid out everything. There was – he even did, like, this whole thing where he was being interviewed before they left, and he was told by the company that the material used for the cylinder should not be used for deep water. Yeah, he was well. told. And this is an example of these rich people who just, you can't tell them no. People who just have never been told no. They don't, they have, you know, and and it's so unfortunate because, like, the one thing that I do think is sad is it, this was right around Father's Day and uh, a young man died on board and he literally went just because his dad was such a uh, Titanic uh, obsessive, like, he was so obsessed with it and he... The, the kid had his doubts and didn't want to go, but he went as a Father's Day gift for his dad and... There you go. Well, it was a Father's Day that neither one of them would ever forget. They'll never remember either. Uh, no, but it, I, it's effed up. It's messed up. No, it, it, it is, is messed yeah. up. It is messed up. But, you know, you got a point is, will anyone care when the, when the docuseries or when the movie comes out? Because if you remember Tiger King, well, Tiger King was this big thing. It was on Netflix. Everyone talked about it. Then I believe Peacock did a series called Joe and Carol. And, and no Kate, one cares. No one cared, I don't think. No, nope. I mean, Kate, to be fair... I, I didn't watch it, so I can't really say if it was good or bad. But that's kind of my point. This is an example of these streaming services just not getting it. They don't get it. They don't get their audience because they're like, oh, this got millions and millions of hits. People watch it. Yeah, because at the time, you stri- yeah, you, you it know, resonated you, at the time. Iron was hot. It's not anymore. Yeah, that's the way I look at it. And I hate it when they do that. You know what I mean? And, I do. Uh, I do. So, uh,. No, I'm going to go ahead and say that I probably will skip this one. I'm sure there will still be people who will watch it because there are people who are were invested in this story. Like I said, like you couldn't go on TikTok without seeing millions of accounts of people covering everything that could possibly be covered. So you know they're going to cover the docuseries just to have another video out there. And to me, that's all it's going to be. People are going to use this to 
try to promote their own channel. They really don't give a shit about the story. They don't give a shit about these people or their families. And I think that's dark, but it's true. Well, I mean, to be fair, the docu-series, uh, I mean, the, the movie, the, they, the guy went out of his way to say this is about honoring the family and stuff. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I hope he, so. He seems like he really was or is trying to do the right thing. So don't be a cynic right off the bat because he said all the right things. Let's see if his follow-through is good. And but I, but I, all right, guys, now right. is time to talk about the, uh, if you, it's Star Wars time, Ahsoka season finale. Are you ready? Ahsoka episode eight review. All right. All right. We got to do this within 20 minutes because the world's going to explode. Dun, dun, dun. It's currently two o'clock. Okay, the world is not going to explode. Apparently, we're all going to turn into zombies because of a signal. Anyways. John Lennon. (laughs) All right. All right. So, Ahsoka season finale. And we'll start off by saying, overall, I did like the series. Um, It concluded in the way that worked well for the series, but not in the way I wanted. Because... I thought this would be more of a complete story, and at the end of the day, this seems like part one of a story. And it's weird, because on IMDb it says it's it's a miniseries, and there's not a season two. So, are they going to continue it in a season two? It sure seemed like it. And if they're not, are they going to make kind of like a Boba Fett kind of series, which is Mandalorian like 2.5 between season two and three? And it's just, it's tough. It's tough. The uh, we'll go into the episode from the beginning though. Ryan, what what did you think? Uh, I think we could have been here a couple episodes ago. That's my only complaint about this series is I can't deny that it does feel slow to me. I feel like we could have done everything we've done. Like I said, we could have already started the first battle, in my opinion, with Thrawn. By this now. show could have been a movie that and. So and with, that's the way I feel about a lot of Star Wars shows. With the exception of The Mandalorian and Andor, most of these shows feel like they could be movies. I agree. And, and that's what I'm saying is these streaming services just not really knowing their audience yet. They're still figuring it out. We're in the beginning stages here. But with what you were saying, with like, so what are they going to do considering if it was just a miniseries? What if this is all going to come together in one giant Star Wars film? Hell, maybe. It is. It, yeah, no, yeah. no, it is. They've already announced it. It's a Dave Filoni movie. It's going to wrap up the whole Mandoverse. So it'll do Mandoverse, Ahsokaverse. Yeah, basically everything Rebelsverse. Everything post-Jedi pre The Force Awakens is going to be wrapped up in a Dave Filoni movie. That is the plan right now. Who knows? Things change all the time. Star Wars cancels movies quicker than any studio I've ever noticed. Yeah, well, I mean, they're expensive. It's a lot, you know, and, and I get it. But it's uh, it's it's important, man, because, like, he's got such great ideas. I just hate when they're pulled in a weird way. But, no, I, I, I loved this series. What I saw I liked. My only complaint, like I said, is it's it's it's. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's slow paced. All right, so we are going to jump into the sh- the episode. So it starts out where the Night Sisters are basically telling our what was her name? Do you remember? Our main villain, Night Sister, uh, Morgan, Morgan, telling Morgan. Yeah, basically, they're like, "Hey, you're, you know, you've done it. You've done everything we wanted. We're going to give you the power that we have, and you're going to be one of us." And they ignite, uh, give her the power. She gets fresh face tattoos, and she gets a cool green flamed sword. And I believe that this was all completely orchestrated by Thrawn. Perhaps, perhaps I don't know. Uh, we'll see. But anyways. So uh, they do that. Thrawn looks upon them as she gets all powerful. And then the title pops up, Ahsoka, 
da 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 and our episode is off to the races and and right after that he you know so now we've got uh ahsoka and them with the no t or no time whatever no t heading now they're the turtle guys yes the turtle guys so now they're all heading together we get this nice back and forth with ahsoka and sabine where basically she you know tells sabine that she totally knows that she handed over the star map and she's not mad she understands that literally that was the only decision she's going to stand by her because Anna could stood by her. Yes, yes. And she's basically like, your gamble paid off, Sabim. And I like that because you're right. Yeah. That's what she was. Is she realized that Anakin, with his recordings uh, that we saw in the last episode, has always had her back. Yep. So this is when she's fully choosing to be Sabine. Uh, Sabine. <laughs> uh, yeah, to be Sabine's master in the way that Anakin <laughs> was for her. Me. No, you're fine, dude. And uh, so, so, yeah, so we get that. So, we yeah, cuts back to Thrawn. He sends off a couple TIE fighters off at her. Because he's like, all right, I'm not underestimating a Jedi, especially one trained by Anakin Skywalker, so we're going to just kill him. We're just going to kill him, sending TIE fighters. And then he says, get a ground troop ready. So now he's ready. That took me by surprise. Yeah, right? Well, anyways, I want to say is while our heroes are waiting to be uh, shot at, uh, Hu Yan... Who uh, Yang? Who Yang? Excuse me. Gives Ezra the parts he needs to make a new lightsaber. That was and, co- so cool. That and was we, a great we scene. talk about Kanan Jarrus, and we find out that Hu Yang uh, trained t- him, trained and taught uh, Kanan Jarrus, which uh, his name is actually Caleb, if anyone's wondering. Yep. And that is Ezra's master. And we get a piece of uh, an identical piece that uh, he used to make the lightsaber. That now Kanan. Is it's almost like Kanan's passing down his lightsaber, even though they're not the same parts. It's like these these were the identical things that your master used. It was a very good moment. Other than the deleted scene of Luke Skywalker from Return of the Jedi, I think this is the only time on screen we've actually seen, other than the video games, where we've actually seen a lightsaber being constructed. In live action, yes. Yeah, yeah. So that was really cool. Absolutely. No, I, I thank you for bringing that up. I, I, I forgot to bring that scene up. That's such a cool scene. All right. So, right. So, yeah, so the TIE fighters come, start shooting at them. You know, they're the. Uh, now they're trying to protect the Noti. Literally, Ahsoka and uh, uh, Ezra are down there using the force to hold up the ship. Because basically, uh, when the TIE fighters come in, they shoot the ship. The ship loses whatever it is. The stabilizers. The stabilizers. So it's no longer floating. So now, the, uh, like he said, Ahsoka and Sabine are holding it up with the force. Underneath this ship are our alien buddies, the, the turtles. What are they called? Uh, the Noti. The Noti, and they're about to be crushed. So. What happens? Uh, so, I'm sorry, Ezra and Ahsoka are holding up the ship. Yes. Sabine is in the ship. Yeah. She does this crazy maneuver. Hu yep. Yang is like, you know, that's just going to give us like a burst of energy. And she's like, that's all I need. She aims. She hits the engines. She shoots the ships. And it kamikazes the two TIE fighters, destroying them. But it doesn't crash. I mean, it crashes. I, lo- I love how frail TIE fighters are. <laughs> like, yeah, she literally just ran into them. Well, <laughs> destroyed her ship too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That she went down, but that was. I thought. It, I thought it went down just because, like, she used like what was left of what the ship basically had. No, she threw it down. in the air and it crashed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So obviously Ezra's like, so this is gonna slow us down. And then Ahsoka is like, not if we don't let it, which is a very Jedi thing to say, but kind of bullshit. Like so, if you don't have a plan, like if you have a plan, if you have a plan, that's a clever thing to say. But if you don't have a plan, you're what? Because you believe it won't slow you down, or you could you could will yourself into this not being an obstacle. I don't know. It bugged me. 
Well, they had howlers, so they hopped on the, the crazy wolf howlers, I believe they're called. Sure, sure. And uh, so they're riding in. So at this point... They're uh, storming the castle, essentially. They're trying to get up to the ship before it takes off. Because yes. all, they've already uh, they've already brought now the... I forget what it's called, the Eye of Scion. They, yeah, brought, so they brought that down. The ring that will basically connect to the Star Destroyer to make it travel to uh, the known Star Wars galaxy. So the ship's about to leave. Thrawn is about to leave, and we have our heroes storming the castle, which the ship is essentially Rain. hovering above. So yeah. they get in there, and then Thrawn's ground troops show up, and they start shooting and shooting and shooting, and you know we have our lightsabers blocking, blocking, blocking. And in an earlier scene, Thrawn had mentioned to the Night Sisters, like you told them, and they're like, yes, they're willing to make the sacrifice for th- you, for you. So th- for the all- Empire, for the Empire. So all of these stormtroopers know they're gonna die. And sure enough, they all they all die. And then we get the Night Sisters do their ritual, and we get what we all were guessing was gonna happen. We get zombie stormtroopers. Zombie stormtroopers. Well, night troopers. Night troopers. Well, the, I'm just saying the zombie stormtroopers are in two main books in the extended universe, and that is Death Trooper and Red Harvest. Red Harvest is a prequel that takes place at a Sith academy thousands of years ago, and Death Troopers take place uh, roughly after Jedi. I believe after Jedi, but anyways, Han Solo and Chewbacca are in that one, and it is a great book. Neither one of those actually are canon, though. They're both uh, legends. But anyways, like many things in the Star Wars universe, Disney has now finally canonized zombie stormtroopers. Well, I mean, they were and they were like resurrected, obviously, by the Night Sisters and stuff. Because wasn't those books? It was like more like a virus. Yeah, those books were straight up zombies. Whereas this was, I, I actually even think that the Night Sisters brought back something from the dead in clone wars i i don't think this is that this might not be the first time we've seen it i don't know but it was the first time they were stormtroopers so they're all coming back and then we actually finally for the first time i feel in star wars we get formidable ass stormtroopers like they were they couldn't take them down they had to run yeah they were rushing and uh our heroes run they and they're like close the door and they of course zap the convenient locks and they slam shut and this is why i was saying thrawn told the Night Sisters to give Morgana all these powers and give her the sword, because then he looks at her and he goes, we need more time. And she's like, I understand. Yeah, and so Morgana goes to face off with our heroes. and Knowing she'll be left behind. Yeah, exactly, but she's willing to make that sacrifice, because that's commitment, that's a villain. So Ahsoka, Sabine, and Ezra show up, and then there's Morgan, and there's just, you know, Ahsoka's like, I got this, you guys need to stop Thrawn. So they go, and it's a face-off between Ahsoka and Morgan. And it's good. It's good. I mean, It was I, a good fight. Yeah, it's it, the fiery green sword is kind of like, all right, we can't give her a lightsaber, but we want a sword fight. And, and she, <laughs> she broke one of Ahsoka's lightsabers, so yeah, she was she a cut formidable opponent. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Ultimately, uh, Ahsoka wins and kills her. Uh, but before that happens, we got Sabine and we got Ezra on the roof. And the Star Destroyer is taking off. And Sabine's like, oh, crap, uh, jump. And he's like, I can't make that. And she's like, yes, you can. You jump and I will force push you. And he jumps and after being very hesitant. But she had to talk him into it. But he jumps and she force pushes him and he just barely makes it on the Star Destroyer. Star Destroyer. And then he's like, come, come. And she turns around and... Uh, like I said, Ahsoka is still fighting Morgan at this point, and she has this decision, like, do I jump there with Ezra or do I stay with Ahsoka? And they lead you to believe that she jumps to the Star Destroyer, but in the very next scene, we see her uh, backing up Ahsoka in the fight. 
against the zombie stormtroopers and Morgan. Because, by the way, while Ahsoka's fighting Morgan this whole time, the zombie troopers have caught up. And uh, in this episode, we really see Sabine uh, has really learned a lot of force. Because, like, in the fight scene with the stormtroopers before, right before the scene, she uses the force to pull her lightsaber to her hand. So we see her do the force pull. Oh, yeah, she's got the telekinesis. She's got then, the force, uh, what, the, the mind, I, I call it telekinesis. She can move shit. And then she uses force push to push Ezra far as F away. So she's really, we've seen her gotten really, really powerful with the force. Yeah, we'll just have to accept the fact that she just tapped into it during this adventure. It's literally fine. between the past, this episode and the last. Yeah, whatever. She did it. But she it's figured fine. it out. So, you know, obviously, so they get, so Hu Yang comes and saves the day, drops in in the ship. They jump onto the ship. Because Hu Yang apparently fixed the ship while this was all happening. He told them not to wait up because he had him and, and the Noti were helping him in electrocuting themselves, which was hilarious. Yeah, so the ship is healed and it shows up to save the day because Ezra is on the Star Destroyer and the Star Destroyer is taken off. Now we have Sabine and Ahsoka who jump off the, the, the building, essentially, where the Star Destroyer the building they were storming where the Star Destroyer was on top of. They jump off, they land on their ship just out of view so our viewers can see a marvelous reveal as they are raised up into view and then eventually they get in the ship and fly away. And they they chase after, you know, the Star Destroyer that's now in the hyperspace ring and it's it, it's too late. He taps into the comm and basically... He says some cold He's shit. He's got a speech. He says some cold shit. Like, I'm probably going to butcher it, but he basically was like, you know, he's like, I know you because I know your master, Anakin Skywalker, so I assumed your tactics would be the same. I predicted this. And then he's like... Which is so Thrawn, because that's who the character is. And then he's like, perhaps this is a place for a Ronin like you, because one only wonders how similar you will become. He's implying that she might go to the dark side, perhaps. And then he gives her one last for the Empire and takes off. And he is back in our universe. The last thing we see of him in this uh, series is him approaching Dathomir, which we know is in the known Star Wars universe. Ezra does make it back to the New Republic. We get a nice scene where he uh, shows up as a stormtrooper because he disguised himself to escape and uh, shows up to see Hera and the other New Republic people. And we have a nice warm welcome with Chopper. So cool. Yeah, Chopper called him out right away. Yeah, Chopper's like, oh, I know this guy. Like, he always stole their shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, and then we get Sabine and Ahsoka showing up to the little alien turtle guys, which I keep forgetting their name. The Noti. The Noti, and uh, basically they're gonna have their adventure. They're still in the other universe. We have. Yeah, and then Shin Hati. Yep, then Shin Hati comes Shin up. Shin Hati, and she basically joins the their version of uh, sad people. Like basically raiders is what they called them. Yeah, but we never actually see what they look like, so they're just sand people to me. And then we get to see Balin's skull standing in what in front of what looks like to me the one in, in a giant, it, it, like the mountainside has been carved to look like this big bearded guy. It, yeah, it kind of looks uh, very Lord of the Rings reminiscent of like the ancient carvings. Like clearly there was this grand society or mythology on this planet. And I think we're going to get to this is the origins of the Force and the Jedi and all that stuff. And, and you see that on one side of him, there's another carving of a person. But on the left side of this old man carving, in the, in the it looks like it's completely carved out. So I wonder if that is like, symbolism for that you know one side of the force is unbalanced 
Well, clearly the Force is unbalanced. I mean, Anakin was supposed to bring balance to the Force, and he dropped the ball thoroughly. One thing I like about the, in my opinion, what I saw was like the, the kind of the theme of this episode was no one was leaving anybody behind. He told Shin to go join your place in this empire. She chose to stay behind and rally these raiders to go help her master. And uh, Sabine was supposed to take off with Ezra. She did not. She turned around and she stuck with Ahsoka. And without her, arguably, Ahsoka probably was going to lose. Probably, but also it's the whole Sabine chose uh, to leave with the bad guys. She basically picked Ezra over everything just to save him. So she couldn't do it again. You know what I mean? Like she had, she couldn't leave Ahsoka for Ezra because Ezra was getting home. So she fulfilled her plan, but also it's just she had to stick with Ahsoka. She couldn't make that choice again. All right, man. I, honestly, that's all I've got to say. The, the, all, like I said, I, I wish we had more. It was but a great season finale. That's how much I loved it. I just wish we had some more. Yeah, and uh, so the bottom line is the whole story overall was good, but it was slow. Uh, I, I I did like the series. There's clearly going to be a season two, and if there's not a season two, they're going to explain all of this in another series because they, they basically had every character in the show have a what's going to happen next. Yeah, and uh, we, I mean, we had so many lightsaber battles, which I'm so grateful for. We got more lightsaber action, I feel, in this series than any other one but the one thing i miss is man in episodes one two and three those lightsaber scenes were so perfect the way they you know used you know cgi or whatever to have them flip around and crazy jedi shit and it was like we didn't see any of that it was very at at the you know the physical restraint of the actor actress yeah yeah you want acrobatics like in the uh the the i miss it yeah i miss it i know you keep bringing that up i believe i believe we'll get it again though yeah we were spoiled back then we didn't know how good we had it but all right, guys, that'll be it for this episode of Earthling Entertainment. Please join us next week for another episode of Earthling Entertainment. But uh, in all seriousness, also check out our other podcast called Tattered Tales. Tattered Tales. Tattered Tales is a anthology show, kind of like Twilight Zone or the Tales from the Crypt or Black Mirror. They are all self-contained stories of sci-fi, fantasy, or horror. A little bit of comedy thrown in. And they're really good. They're like old radio shows. And they're completely free. Just check them out anywhere you can get your podcasts. 